You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near to all who call out to him and all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. This is God's word. Well, good morning. It is fantastic to see everyone. It seems like forever. If you, were, if you saw, uh, as Aaron had mentioned, uh, we had a great, fantastic fellowship time with the Ethiopian church on the 19th of December. The last time I've been with you in here was the week before that. And I don't try to catch everybody, and not everybody was able to be there for the w- weekend of the 19th. Oh, we got a fancy new microphone. Okay, sorry. I'm just noticing things. I haven't been here. Um, so... For several different reasons, Christmas was here. We didn't weren't able to use the space, um, so we had uh, um, an online video. So instead of you, I got to look at a camera. That was interesting, different. I feel for all those who had to do that over the course of multiple years. I'm so happy to see faces. Um, but Christmas, we got to celebrate. We did Advent. Uh, I also got knocked out with some weird disease. I don't know. It wasn't COVID. I got, I went through a drive-thru. I did two at-home tests. We tried to figure it out. I just wanted to sleep. It was amazing to sleep, but, um, but it's just like some kind of respiratory thing. And, and here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm back. I wanted to sleep last week. Nate stepped to the plate and I appreciate this brother last week and brought a word that was not pre-planned just so everybody knows. Uh, he encouraged and blessed our, our, that week was determined uh, because of, of where God had me providentially. And so he brought hope and holiness. 
uh, and I appreciated that word, and I hope you did too, or encouraged by it. It's on the website. If you missed it, go listen. Um, but this week, we're starting something new. Um, we're starting. We're starting in Psalm 145. I'm Chad, by the way. I have never introduced myself. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at King's Cross, and. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a stack of free ones on the back uh, that, uh, that you can take and use for your own. But we're going to be in Psalm 145, so open up your Bibles or your apps. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be there. Typically, we teach through books of the Bible. Uh, of course, through the Christmas Advent season, we had a series in the Psalms um, where we uh, celebrated the hope we have in Christ um, and looked forward towards his returning again. But now we're starting here a five-week series in uh, titling it Foundations and Legacy. Um, we're spending this time walking through the foundations of the mission and core values of King's Cross. Though so we've um, just formally, f- were founded as a church in September, what is now four months ago, right? Um, we are, can be quick to forget these things, and so we want to start this new year afresh. Uh, reminding us of where, um, what is it we value most? What is it we seek to keep central in everything that we do? And what do we want to be known for as a church? Um, This week, over the next four weeks, we're actually going to be covering being gospel-centered, building community, uh, sacrificial service, and mission and multiplication. Uh, We're going to cover those topics, but this week in particular, we're going to be setting some of the groundwork for all of that in Psalm 145. Um, At the core of all that we're doing uh, and all that we are uh, wanting to be, the purpose behind that is, and we're focused on the beginning of our mission, we exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. Um, (laughs) This psalm is so full. Uh, I feel inadequate to deliver, uh, to, to, to do justice uh, to God's praise and glory. Um, honestly, uh, it would be sufficient to get up here and just, as Heather already has done, read through this psalm and say, yes, praise him. Um, I hope and pray, and let's pray together, that the Spirit would then more illuminate, pull me back, step me out of the way, uh, and Teach us something from his word, because this is foundational, friends. It's foundational. So can we pray together that the Spirit would be with us? Uh, Father, this morning, I pray that you grant us a special grace as we uh, look at Psalm 145, as we uh, seek to understand and, God, be filled uh, with your Spirit in such a way that that praise overflows from us day by day. Lord, that our worship would be solely invested in you and that we wouldn't be satisfied at anywhere else. God, grant us that this morning. Teach us. And we ask all this in in your son's name. Amen. Uh, So this psalm is is without a doubt uh, uh, central uh, to what it is that, uh, that we are as believers that we praise and worship and bless God every day. That, that is what we are made for. Um, we say that phrase, we exist to glorify God, and that's a loaded, loaded statement. And I'd hope that as we leave here today, you would in, it be ingrained in you an understanding <clears throat> that you are made and created by God for his glory. 
And that this verse resounds both in several sections where first a call to praise, the psalmist calls people to praise, but also then to give cause for our praise. A call to our praise and a cause for our praise. And we're going to look at these. It's not super clean and neat. It's a song. Okay, we've been in, we've been in uh, Philippians, the beginning of this past, um, well, from September in the fall. And, 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 and Paul's very methodical and thoughtful, and he organizes everything and has a very way of putting it. This is a song, okay? So there's repetition. There's repeating. It's not neat. I'm not, I'm not able to cut this up in little sections and outline and give it to you in such a way, but I can show you themes that are here throughout the song. Matter of fact, it was a song that would have been sang uh, during, during festivals by the Israelites, God's people. It's a song that would have been a part of liturgy multiple times a day. Uh, back many centuries ago, Rabbi Elazar said, whoever says this psalm, which we call Ashrei, Psalm 145, three times a day is a person who can rest assured that he will inherit the next world. Now, we do not ascribe to the fact that if you recite this three times a day, that's what salvation is, okay? Just understand that. And I don't believe, and I know and trust, that's not what rabbi is communicating. But rather, the person that would meditate on and indwell the praise of this psalm is one that would be consumed with the glory, might, power, goodness, kindness, compassion, and mercy of our God, and would surely inherit eternal life. And he trusts that. And I hope that would be the truth for us. Uh, believers rest in this psalm. We need this reminder. Why is it we need, would I encourage you to recite this day by day? Because in the tough times, it's hard to remember it's hard to rest in and trust, and sometimes hard to believe what this psalm is telling us. That he is a mighty and powerful God who's good. Who's good. Because it's in those moments we need. Because there is times throughout our life, is there not, where we might be, we might be lent to wondering if that's really true? If you haven't experienced that yourself, it will come. When you might wrestle with or a friend or a family might wrestle with and wonder, is God really good and great? This psalm should resonate in your heart and be a balm on a wounded heart in those times of trouble. So it starts off in the beginning of this passage with a call to praise God's greatness. Uh, David is ascribed as the psalmist here. And he starts in verse 1 and 2 this way. He says, I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. He is professing and proclaiming his own desire and his own intent to praise and exalt God forever and ever. And in this psalm, it's a song, remember, it said together, all the people corporately singing this, I will do this. That's the encouragement that we're to call then to worship in our hearts. And, and as we've set from the premise from the beginning, I don't want to bury the lead. 
we exist for God's glory and to praise his name. I don't want that to ever be unclear throughout this sermon. We exist for God's glory and to praise his name. Uh, taking a sampling from, um, from the Desiring God website, it's a resource place, they have a list of the verses, and I'm not going to read every single one of these, in which the sake of God's name and his glory is primary. So if you want a sampling for this, God, for this, for this example, uh, in Ephesians, we see that God chose his people for his glory. In Isaiah, we see that God created us for his glory. We see in Isaiah and in Jeremiah that God called Israel for his glory. We also see in, in the Psalms that God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. In Romans, it tells us that God raised Pharaoh up to show his power and to glorify his name. In Exodus, we read that God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. In Ezekiel, God spared Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. In 2 Samuel, God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. In 1 Samuel, God did not cast away his people for the glory of his name. In 2 Kings, God saved Jerusalem from attack for the glory of his name. In Ezekiel, God restored Israel from exile for the glory of his name. In John, Jesus sought the glory of his Father in all that he did. In Matthew and 1 Peter, we're told Jesus told us to do good work so that God gets glory. In John, Jesus warned that not seeking God's glory makes faith impossible. Again in John, Jesus said that he answers prayer <clears throat> that he answers prayer that God would be glorified. And in John, again, and in uh, twice, we see John, Jesus endures his final hours of suffering for God's glory. God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness in Romans. God forgives our sin for his own sake in Isaiah. Jesus receives us into his fellowship for the glory of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. God instructs us to do everything for his glory. God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify him. Jesus will fill us with fruits of righteousness for God's glory. They became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images in Romans. Herod is struck dead because he did not give glory to God. Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. And Jesus' ultimate aim for us is that we see and enjoy his glory. And I've still got more on this list. Now, if we were to have come across anybody else in the world who would say, give me all the glory, that would be extremely self-absorbed and obnoxious, would it not? Anybody got a friend like that? Probably not your friend, right? You know somebody? It's all about themselves? <clears throat> If I'm up here and I'm all about myself, this would quickly dissolve. It should. God is the single person in the entire universe for whom this is not arrogant nor sinful. The Westminster Catechism actually asks and answers this question. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God. And enjoy him forever. And in Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, God could not be more clear. He says this, 
I will delay my anger for the sake of my name, and I will refrain myself for your benefit and for my praise, so that you will not be destroyed. Look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I will not act for my own sake, indeed my own, for how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. Why is this okay for God? This was actually, it's, it's, I mean, the New Testament talks about the wisdom of God being a stumbling block. And this is a place where people have stumbled. Why would God be all about himself? How obnoxious. Uh, Oprah Winfrey is, gives her testimony. She's a, maybe more popular when I was younger. Do you know who she is? Okay, so Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> maybe she just does talk shows, I don't know. She uh, is, uh, references a story of when she lost her faith. And it was when the pastor gave a reference to an Exodus passage about not making idols for yourself, in which God says, do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And she actually says this and quotes this story and says, what is kind of God is jealous of me? That completely misses the point. God's not jealous because he wants something you have. Because he needs something you have. God's not jealous because he, he, he needs fulfillment in you. God is a jealous God because he wants none of your praise and worship to go somewhere else, not because he needs it, but because he created you and I, and he made us. He made us in his image, and he made us to be most fulfilled in life in him. And because he is a good God, and he's a kind God, and he's a loving God. He will not settle to let us go towards destruction. And when we seek to glorify and worship anything else outside of God, that's death. That's destruction. And that's not life. All life is in God. John 17, Jesus tells us that eternal life is knowing God. And God's not jealous for you because he needs something. It's because he loves you. And he wants you to have life. He wants us to have life. So the the psalmist here in the beginning is calling us all to exalt the great God for whom we are created to praise. And so he is then fulfilling what is ultimately our creation, that he is exalting God, blessing his name forever, blessing him every day, and declaring his greatness. Here's a question. Do you praise and bless God every day? Spurgeon observed uh, that if you ask the question, do you pray every day, we'd probably get a lot more yeses. But do you praise him every day? No matter what's going on. The psalmist says, I will bless you every day, and I will praise your name forever and ever. His greatness is unsearchable, and there is no measure of him that we could not be praising. He is beyond our understanding. When he he says he is unsearchable, it's not because we can't know his greatness. It's because we'll never exhaust his greatness. We won't reach the end. We can spend our entire life uncovering God's greatness and then the eternity after and never exhaust the heights and depths of God's greatness. Do you praise him every day for it? 
do you stop to recognize God's goodness and greatness and bless him for it? That's what the psalmist calls us to. But then we had to ask the question at this point, if God's so great, why does he let bad things happen? We shouldn't avoid that question. Why does he let bad things happen? This is the common question. How could he be so great when we see such evil? Really the true question, hopefully we reshape our minds a little bit and say, why does he save any of us? Why does he save me? I couldn't get out of bed this morning without having some evil thoughts about the alarm clock. That's minor. The truth is, God's kindness and patience and long-suffering, as Romans tells us, is meant to lead us to repentance and life. And it's only in his, it's only in his patience that we even have the opportunity to seek life in him. Do we see that? Because the, the reality is, as the psalmist says, one generation will declare your works to the next. Every generation he lets pass by and he holds his wrath, more and more worshipers come into the kingdom. And he has the door wide open. That's kindness. That's greatness. That's goodness. That he would even choose to save some and give the opportunity, the invitation to all of us to accept life in Christ. That is a great God. <laughs> you ever thought about the fact that as years go by, God's reputation grows with every generation? Hundred, tens of hundreds of thousands of new believers into the kingdom. He could have shut the door a way long time. He could have slammed it shut at the beginning, to be honest with you. And none of us would know his glory. But he is good, and he is great, and he is kind. And so we praise him. And the psalmist calls us that praise. He calls us to glorify his name. He calls us, as generations declare your works to the next, he calls us to be a part of what is historically, from the beginning, the growth of the church, the kingdom. He invites us into his work. As King's Cross, we are planted here for the existing, for the glory of God. What? By making disciples, by bringing people into that kingdom that we would proclaim from one generation to the next. And that is not a function of me up here, of Aaron, of Nate, of Micah, of anybody that sits on this stage. That's a function of each and every one of us that sits in the, in the seats in here. That's a function of every believer within the church. Our mission and our ministry is to proclaim his greatness from one generation to the next. I preached this psalm before with a little bit of a different variation. I was focusing on this at a church in which my, my grandfather helped plant. So, so I went to one generation proclaiming to the next. Let's not undervalue the impact that simple obedience has. God works through weak and fragile vessels. Take that simple step of obedience and speak of his greatness. I had two grandfathers. Everybody else have that? Yeah. Both of them were Thomas. Fun fact, both of my uncles are named Thomas too. 
Uh, I don't have any other grandfather other than a Thomas, and no uncle other than a Thomas. Uh, one of them I didn't know, okay? Uh, one of the, the grandfathers. He passed before I was ever born. But uh, both of them uh, were uh, uh, converted or saved uh, later in life after they had kids. Both of them, by visitation, of people come to their doors and sharing, uh, evangelizing. Both of them became deacons. Um, one of them helped plant churches. Um, those churches, many of them still exist. Um, I actually went to a church where his name was uh, on the gymnasium there uh, in, in his picture. But from that, you see in my own family, I just see from a, a tight-knit space where God has worked through generations where I, I didn't know anything else about the church. Uh, my dad grew up going leading worship when he was like a teenager. You had to do that kind of stuff, like run slides when you're a teenager in your church planner house, right? But the impact of those people who chose to knock on a door and say, hey, do you know about Jesus? To a family who now in my place standing here before you today, I cannot tell you one way or the other, but I can tell you this, that God's kindness throughout generations has brought me here to where we stand today. And each one of you has a story that's probably like that or similar. And you could probably point to a point in which God has been great and gracious to you in your life through family or otherwise. Man, you know, I want my kids to have a really boring testimony. Is that weird? Can you hear that? Did you hear it? I want them to be like, I loved God from when I could remember, and Jesus was amazing, and I obeyed him and followed him and went on to whatever field or this or did something and, and praised his name, whether it be in the workplace or wherever it is. And you know what? I never, I never went down the path of destruction. That would be amazing. Not, probably not going to happen. But I'm thankful to God for those people who would even invest in any generations that I would have the benefit of hearing from such a young age. And so we see the psalmist call us to declare his glory and his works from generation to generation. Let's be obedient in that. Now we're going to turn and look, what are the, cause, what are the causes for our praise? What are the causes for our praise? Well, first and foremost, I want to point to this, that we serve a mighty and powerful God. Now, specifically looking in verses 4 through 6, one generation will declare your works to the next and proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your all-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. Also in verse 12, it again says mighty acts. God is demonstrating his might and his power, and it's on display, and it's no less on display. He does amazing works throughout history, and they're recorded in Scripture, but the greatest works he's done are these. In creation, everything out of nothing, he's the author of like. He spoke the world into being, and he sustains the world by his mouth. He has the power that creates all things. He displays his power and might in all forms throughout history and time and space. And we read of his works in scripture, but in creation, we see him advent his power and might. In the beginning, there was nothing, and God created. 
And then the second space we see him is when he's breathing new life as a savior. So he creates new life and he breathes new life. There is no greater display of God's power and might than bringing a dead man to life. Ephesians 2. You were all dead in your sins and trespasses, but yet he made us alive in Christ. God is powerful. He is mighty. He is strong. So we praise him for his power and his might. His ability to do, to be, is without limit. Please hold that as an encouragement. There is nothing in your life God is not capable of doing. If he can form, make, and create all things, what else can he not do? If he can take a dead, drying bones of a man in sin and death and save us and give us new life, what is it he cannot do? Don't limit your faith because God has no limits. He's inexhaustible. He's mighty and powerful God. He's a creator God. He is a savior. And he's not only all powerful, but he also has all authority. Look at verses 7 through 13. He is a good and gracious king. They will give a testimony of your great goodness. They will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he's made. All you have made will thank you. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his acts. He is mighty and powerful to create and to save and all that power and authority as well. He's not only in power, but he's authority. He's king. He rules and reigns. Sovereign over it all. So though he has all this might and power, there's nothing outside of his power. There is no, oh, now I'm slipping the quote on myself here. I want to say that uh, it's a really good one, but I won't use it. No, I'll reference it. But essentially, uh, there, there is no single molecule. There's no rogue molecule. How's that? God has control over it all. The beginning of this passage is the way God describes himself in Exodus when he presents himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate God and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. So let's remember, not only is God all-powerful, not only is God ruling over all things as king, his kingdom is everlasting. It's glorious splendor of his kingdom, that his rule is for all generations, but he is also a benevolent king. All power and might and all authority can be scary if he's not good. And when God presents himself to his people, he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. God made all things good and perfect from the beginning, but truly there is none good but God. Remember Jesus responded that way. When the rich young ruler came to him, he said, hey, good teacher, good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. He is the standard bearer of righteousness. 
and we can know that everything he does is good. And please hear me, this is important to know before we go into crisis as believers. It's important to know. Not only is he a king who is sovereign and ruling over all, that he is in control of everything, but he is a good and benevolent king. You know, some of you have probably gone through some really tough seasons, maybe a loss of family or friend, maybe um, you know someone who's lost a child. That's a tough time. More than tough, that's probably an understatement. Even when you didn't know how it all worked out, I hope you'd get on the other side of it and can look back and see where he was at work. But the truth is, in Charles Spurgeon's accredited with making this statement that God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken and when we cannot trace his hand we must trust his heart God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken and when we cannot trace his hand we must trust his heart uh, many of you may be familiar with the fact that over uh, the Christmas season, uh, on the 23rd, we got news that my 37-year-old cousin passed away uh, from complications through COVID. Uh, it's a loss of life much earlier in life than we would expect, um, and, and, and that's, that's 37 is a tragedy. Uh, but he also leaves behind a wife and two young kids um, around middle of my kid's age uh, who had to, right before Christmas, try to figure out uh, what they were doing next. Make funeral arrangements on Christmas Eve. Um, the world is broken. Uh, I don't particularly care uh, where you fall on the political side of the COVID kind of debate stuff. We can talk about that. Um, <clears throat> let's care for our neighbors as best we can and love them. Uh, and, and also uh, honor authority. Uh, but here's the other big thing about it. Uh, there's going to be another COVID. There's going to be another disease. As long as we live in this world, there's brokenness. There's sin. There's loss. You're going to have friends or family who's going to lose a child in birth or uh, in pregnancy. Uh, you're going to know someone who uh, loses their parents. Uh, my, so sad, my cousin's dad is also passing from he's 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 really struggling with cancer and he through tears obviously he lost his son and he told me you know a son should a father should never bury their their, their children i would agree i wouldn't want to ever do that uh he said i was cyrus which is uh michael's oldest son he's like i was cyrus's age when i lost my dad and it was really tough you know if you get around funerals and sometimes as a believer we may be tempted to give some really bad theological advice or maybe just to unpack theology and that's not the time to do it I, we've heard a lot the time is to meditate on this that he is good and then recognize that we don't know why anything happens in this world but that he is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken 
and we have to trust his heart. And I pray that this would be the encouragement that you could meditate on when you come to a time of trial such as that. That you would be an encouragement to family and friends if they go through something, a loss like that. Because though God may work outside of our understanding, because we're finite human beings, he is too wise to be mistaken. Could you rule the world? I know I cannot. I have no capacity for that. But he's also too good to be unkind. And we praise him for it. So third, not only is he good and gracious king who is benevolent and sovereign over all things, he's in control. Third, we see he is a compassionate and generous help. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. All, all, all shows up. He is ruling over all, and he helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. That is so encouraging when we live in a world of injustice. You are going to be wronged in your life. There are people wronged in their life. And you will see injustice and you will see things go wrong in a court setting. I've been involved with court cases and it just went wrong. And you couldn't do anything about it. But try to trust that God's goodness and kindness, compassion and generosity is there in the end. That he raises up all who are oppressed. Don't use that as a, don't use that as a weapon against someone who's seeing injustice. Let's seek justice right? We can trust together that we see injustice. God, throughout the minor prophets, is constantly telling regularly, don't oppress. Don't beat down the oppressed and the weak. Lift them up. Seek justice. He hates injustice. But we're humans who are broken and frail, and we will never successfully get perfect justice. That's a pipe dream. There's too much sin. So we do what we can, and we fight as hard as we are able, but we, in the end, trust that God is the one who raises up the oppressed, and he will do right by all of us. If the trial doesn't go your way, whatever doesn't go the way you think it is, if you feel the burden of oppression, I pray that never be the case, but trust he raises up all who are oppressed. He meets the needs of his creation. He cares for it. That's exactly what Matthew pointed, not what Matthew, what Jesus pointed to in Matthew. When he talked to his disciples, he said, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. God takes care of his creation. And though we might suffer through the sinful acts of men, we can trust that he will care for us. Because he is a 
compassionate, kind God. He is a wise God who's not mistaken. And finally and ultimately, we can see this. He raises up those who are oppressed, but number four, righteous. He's a righteous and faithful God. He's not only all-powerful. He's not only in control and good. And he's not only merciful and compassionate, but he is righteous. And he is faithful. Everything he does is faithful and good and right. The Lord is, look at 17 through 20, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. Now that is a quick turn, what it seems like in the midst of this. But that's why I say he is a righteous and faithful judge. Because he is just. Like in the previous passage, he raises up those who are oppressed in his compassion and grace. Well, he also can trust that all things will be handled justly in the end. And and truth be told, uh, on our account for those who trust in Christ, justice is sweet because we're found in him. The example is given if, uh, by R.C. Sproul. He actually has passed away at this point, but he talks about an experience where he was a professor. And as a professor, he had a strict rule. You turned in any paper late, it was a zero. Absolutely no questions asked. He got to the first reported, there were, I think it was four times papers were due, got to the first reported due date, and all the papers showed up, but like one or two. They came to him and said, Prof, Professor, please, 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 listen, these are extended circumstances, this is the issue, da, 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 can you please, please make an exception? He said, here's the deal, I'm going to mark it down, get it to me by next week. So they did. Came to the second due date, and all the people showed up, everybody turned in their paper, except maybe a half dozen or more. And he's like, what's the deal? And they go, oh, prophet, all this stuff was happening, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, write it down next week. Third week came around. Not quite half the class, probably a quarter, turning them in late. And he's like, what is happening? I told you, prof, please, gracious, kind professor, in all your goodness, show us your mercy. And he said, this is it, next week. He said he got to the final week of the paper turn in, and over half the class hadn't brought the paper. He said, okay. He's like, uh, <laughs> what? he said, what is the deal? Why is everybody turning everything in late? And one of the guys said, oh, props, okay, we'll get it to you next week. All right, John, you didn't have it in? Zero. What? That's not fair. Oh, you want fair. You you weren't fair. He said, okay, let's see. You turned it in late last time. Zero. All right, you turned it in late. Wait a second. Wait. Fair is giving you what I told you I'd give you. The point of the story is this. We don't really want fairness from God. Because if it was fair in the sense of what we deserve, then we would take on ourselves everything that he placed on Christ. No, no, no. We want his mercy and compassion. And so as a righteous and faithful judge, 
He gives us justice. (laughs) And we're only able to know him and love him and have life if we are in Christ. The Lord is just, but he's also merciful. And so he, on our behalf, places what is rightly our punishment on his son. And he is true and faithful because even though we might falter, by the way, saved by grace through faith, but not perfect. He is still faithful to give us salvation in Christ because he is a God of his word. God always keeps his promises. And so that's the turn the psalmist makes. He says he fulfills, he is near to all those who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. Meaning honestly, truthfully, I'm not talking about a a foxhole confession like if you save me, Lord, I'll serve you. Okay, maybe that turns out well in the end. But out of a selfishness, no, instead out of integrity that we would pursue him because of our desire for him. And that we see him rightfully for what we are rightfully. That we are in need of his forgiveness and his grace. I actually saw an interview, uh, maybe you're familiar with the Babylon Bee. It's not like the most amazing, I mean, don't go for real news there. But they did an interview with Elon Musk. I don't know. They had a weird question at the end where you're like, so one more question. We want to know if you'll accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That was how they put it. I wouldn't recommend, I mean, you know. And, and he coded on about something else, and he was baptized in Grimm Church. But at one point he said, well, I mean, but if, if Jesus is in the business of saving people, I'm not going to stop him. I mean, sure, I'll take it. It's a convenience. Now, I'm not going to judge Elon's heart. That's only his words and his actions. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Hey, if you're saving people, God, I'll take it. No, he is a Lord who is good and deserves our praise. Not just the convenience of, sure, I'll take a ticket to heaven. And he is close to those who cry for help, and he saves them. The other side of this is we have to recognize, for those who are not in Christ, he destroys all the wicked. But we, we, we don't proclaim his glories from generation to generation because there's not something at stake. There's life and death. That, that God would offer righteous, would, in his righteousness and his justice, offer forgiveness to us. We proclaim that as a church. And that's where then the psalmist turns to his final call to praise in verse 21. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. That's our prayer. That all of Raleigh, all of North Carolina, all of the country and the world would bless his name forever and ever. And that is the foundation for why we exist. That's our prayer. And this is our hope. I pray that we as a church rest in that hope and that we walk from this foundation so that the legacy we leave behind us would be one that praises God from generation to generation. Pray with me. Father, I pray, Lord, uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity we get to worship like this together. I am thankful that we get the chance um, to walk through your word, and I'm grateful for Psalm 145, that you would provide us, give us this um, song of praise that we can meditate on 
and dwell in and, Lord, be encouraged by day by day. God, thank you so much for your kindness, for your mercy, for your compassion, for your justice. And thank you for the fact that your power and might and rule are good. We love you, and we thank you and ask all this in Christ's name.